As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Two thousand twenty two was a busy year for American soccer, and we've been having all of our writers on to talk about their favorite stories that they worked on this year. Today it's a bit of a bonus episode, a rebroadcast, because I want to make sure that people read this piece if they haven't yet. Pablo Maurer and Matt Pence worked for over a year to tell the story of Wee Willie McLean, a player on the United States nineteen thirty four World Cup team who went missing until Pablo and Matt tracked down his entire life story. That description is somehow selling the story very, very short. Definitely go read the piece, which is linked in the show's description. And if you still need convincing, here's a rebroadcast of a conversation Matt and Pablo had with the Society for American Soccer History about the story earlier this year. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day. I'm going to employ a little biblical phrase here. Uh, the Lord draws straight with crooked paths. And if there was ever a story uh, where that was true, uh, <laughs> what's the genesis of this engrossing tale? And what uh, sorts of twists and turns and crooked paths uh, did you discover along the way? So I'll turn it over uh, to our guest today. And thank you for joining the society. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, Matt can speak to this as well. I got to give Matt credit. I think if I think really hard, I think he was probably the first one on that Willie McLean Wikipedia page. I mean, it, it's pretty simple. I think COVID came along and sort of uh, derailed, obviously, live soccer for a good while. Um, so, uh, you know, I think Matt and I were both kind of brainstorming uh, ideas for historical pieces. And I told Matt, you know, I've, I've done a lot on you know, whatever, the NASL, early MLS, et cetera, but had never really sort of dived into um, a really truly early U.S. national team history. And I think much has been written about the 30 uh, World Cup squad, 50 as well, obviously, 30 being the first, 50 being um, the team that memorably, obviously, upset, upset England. Um, so we just started looking through the names of players in the 34 World Cup uh, team and obviously arrived at Wee Willie and uh, very quickly found out that apparently he dropped off the face of the earth and Wikipedia said he was, you know, had no death date and listed him as being alive at 117. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that piques your interest, I think. 
Yeah, and we had, uh, as Pablo kind of said, it was uh, September of 2020, um, so a good six months into the first pandemic year. And, and yeah, and at first it was kind of, I wouldn't call it nice because everything was so in flux, but as somebody who likes writing feature stories, it had kind of given us the flexibility to kind of run through those stories that you like never had the time to do. So there was a lot of freedom in those early months. Uh, but you get six months in and, and it's like you start to kind of reach the end of your notebook to an extent um, without live events really going on, at least not to the extent that they were before. Um, and so, yeah, so on Wikipedia, like it was literally like the 1930 and 1934 World Cup teams were just going through one by one, clicking through the link to the guy, trying to figure out what might be going on. Because as Paul kind of alluded to, we wanted to write about somebody on those early teams, but it was also like it was a very tumultuous time in the world. I mean, as we kind of get into in Willie's story, I mean, anyone who played on those 30, 34 World Cup teams, it was a, a very interesting time to be alive. And I kind of figured that somebody in there would have a story worth exploring and telling that had maybe been a little bit lost, although maybe not nearly as lost as, as Willie kind of ended up being. So that was kind of the genesis, literally – clicking through the rosters of the 1930 and 1934 World Cup teams one by one, seeing if anything piqued our interest. And yeah, I think, I think too, if you read the Wikipedia, I mean, so much, so much of the sort of modern media that's produced, if you think about Netflix or Hulu um, or long-form writing has this sort of true crime kind of aspect to it. And even the little sort of breadcrumbs that were on his Wikipedia that he just disappeared without the tra a trace and, you know, sent postcards from up and down the Mississippi, that sort of stuff. Uh, as a consumer of all that modern trash, this this really appealed to both of us, I think. Um, you know, so we, I think very quickly we fell down the rabbit hole. And then a, a brief follow-up there would be, you know, what, what were your findings once you zeroed in on uh, this character, you know, how did the many facets, what were some of the, the, the great discoveries? Could you walk us through, you know, kind of once you've, you know, honed in on Wee Willie, how, how that research developed? And I know there's at least one member of our society who, uh, you know, helped along the way. So, yeah, please elaborate on that. I know our, our members will, will uh, you know, really enjoy that. Yeah, it was sort of start with the basics and, I guess I'll just give a generic spoiler alert here. If you haven't read the piece, I'm just going to ruin the whole thing for you, but um, you can still go read it. I mean, the basics are, you know, he played at the, for, for Sticks, Baron Floor in St. Louis, for the Bricklayers, Shamrocks in St. Louis, Bricklayers in Chicago, just a bunch of dominant club sides. Goes to the 34 World Cup, uh, has a breakdown in 36, according, again, to sort of what limited information is available, and then just drops off the face of the earth a year or two later. Um, so we started, you know, uh, Willie had a nephew, Archibald McKinley, who happened to be um, a local newspaper writer in Indiana. And he had written an article in 1994 that just sort of, uh, you know, gave us a starting point, but also kind of deepened the mystery. I mean, it basically went over his career exploits, but then just sort of skipped his entire life and said, you know, it said like we buried Willie and Uncle Willie in Calumet Park in 1977 or something like that. Um, uh, so we started from there. I mean, we just sort of constructed his family tree. Um, I think probably after a week or two, we did get frustrated by the fact that 
Very few, few of Willie's family members wanted to touch this. There's very little information um, available on him. So we sort of uh, roped James Brown uh, here into our research. And, you know, very quickly, he, I, I would say James provided a couple of things that kind of were like keys to unlocking dozens of other things. I mean, one of them being a burial notice, which verified that, yeah, this guy, you know, died in 1977 is interred, you know, in Illinois. Um, and the other being, and, you know, possibly most uh, important in that burial notice, you know, that listed that he had a surviving daughter who just miraculously is still alive at 90 um, and agreed to talk to us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, I don't know, Matt, you want to take it from here? Yeah, um, it, it definitely, it was one of those stories that kind of unfolded. There were definitely kind of like twists along the way, as you kind of alluded to in our intro there. Um, that yeah, we, James was really integral in helping us build out the family tree and also to just sort of like get information and start reaching out to people. Um, just kind of blind firing off Facebook messages and cold calls and voicemails that never got returned and, and all that stuff. It almost felt like every time uh, we started to reach a dead end, uh, something else would pick up. Like we got in touch with Archibald McKinley, who was the um, newspaper columnist. Um, his widow, he, he had passed away, but his widow is still alive and got in touch with her and, and she was excited to talk to us, but was pretty much like, yeah, I don't know anything about this person really. Uh, she had a couple different um, kind of like photographs that Archie had kept. Most prominently, the, the main photo of the art of our story was this photo negative of Willie um, from when he played for the Bricklayers. And it's just this beautiful photo, um, really crystal clear, that kind of gave us that first glimpse of him. But beyond that, she didn't have a lot. And so it just ended up being we would get I, – I still remember getting a call from what would have been Willie's great niece, Kimberly, um, I was just like driving. I live in Seattle and I was like driving on a Seattle street and had to like pull off to the side and talk to her. And she had kind of given us our first hint that there was some kind of, of mental breakdown involved. And she kind of had referenced it, referenced him kind of being around and that the family was vaguely aware that, that Uncle Bill was still out there somewhere, but that it was just this thing that you didn't talk about back then. And it was kind of regarded as this like sort of shameful family secret. Um, that then kind of allowed us to unlock a lot of the rest. And yeah, and, and once we got Nancy involved, that was obviously a huge part. Um, Pablo was able to go and, and sit with her um, and Willie's grandchildren as well. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think, like, I, just to interject, Matt, I also think when it comes to Nancy in particular, we got really lucky, right? Because this is a woman who, you know, her father, Willie McLean, 
I mean, it, it, like it, it sounds like a hackneyed, like almost stereotypical, but the, the guy literally went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. That's what actually happened. And um, she last saw him when she was two. And I think to a lot of people that would create a lot of resentment, but I think it worked to our favor a little bit here because once um, I earned Nancy's trust, you know, she didn't really have much of an attachment to Willie and it wasn't like she felt horrendously betrayed. I mean, he was just never a part of her life. So I think she was really as curious as we were, you know, we, we got really, really lucky in that respect because, um, you know, it, it would have also been so easy for me to go there and her just to tell me to pound sand, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, once we sat with her, she, she confirmed that, you know, he vaporized and then, you know, sort of, we talked, you know, I, I talked to her for maybe 20, 30 minutes. And right as I was leaving, she said, she sort of drops this bombshell that, that he had actually sort of like suggested to um, his wife, Nancy's mother, that, you know, they enter into like a murder suicide pact and the three of them all die together. I think from that, you know, from that point on, it became, um, it became like every single thing we found out about this guy was, more gray and muddy and complex than what we'd already learned, you know? Yeah. And it was another sort of example of the pieces falling together um, in a way that, I don't know, kind of compelled us to move forward because if, if Nancy had been our first stop and we had gotten that information first and, and that was kind of it, maybe we would have even kind of like stopped from there. It was kind of an open and shut, like this happened. He abandoned his family. There was this very dark, the suicide pack thing is sort of unredeemable type story. But because we had talked to family members, we had found a lot of old newspaper references to him getting carried off the field and, and suffering concussions and being out for weeks and weeks with head injuries. It's, we had kind of uncovered what would maybe be considered some level of extenuating circumstances when it comes to why he might've disappeared. Some very serious mental illness um, that kind of compelled us to keep digging and keep moving forward and allowed us to maybe keep being interested in his life. Whereas those, those revelations from Nancy were obviously very heavy um, and tough to digest at the time. Yeah. So, and we also like something else James contributed. We ended up working with the Scott County genealogical society um, and they chased down two other very important things. One was Willie's death certificate and the other was a divorce decree. Um, so, Willie's death certificate really, really opened up uh, up things because that's, uh, you know, where we discovered that he changed his name. You know, the name that was listed on his death certificate was William Stuart Lang, a.k.a. McLean, right? So I feel like it sort of opened up this entire second half of our research where now we were chasing an entirely different ghost, right? Um, using that, we found out, you know, I found a newspaper listing, uh, obviously back in the 40s, 50s, whenever, you know, something like a divorce would be listed in the newspaper. Um, so we, I found a divorce listing um, for William Stewart Lang, uh, you know, his new name. Uh, we got a hold of that divorce decree. I noticed that it was delivered to him at Mount Pleasant Mental Health Institute in Iowa. So at that point, we that's when we determined he'd been institutionalized. It's just a huge snowball that kind of keeps building, right? I get a hold then of the Iowa Department of Health, they, you know, I get somebody on the phone who says, you know, you're not going to believe this, but we have like, I have a roll of microfiche from this patient from, you know, 1946. 
Um, and she said, I have no idea if there's anything on it. Like a lot of this microfiche has degraded over the years, you know, um, and like given the way our research was going, I think Matt and I fully expected her to load that thing in and for it to all be black or washed out, you know. But um, again, Nancy signed, you know, Nancy is Willie's next of kin. She signed off on us getting the health records. And it was like easily the biggest thing, the, the thing that really made this story easiest to write from a research perspective were uh, Willie's admissions paperwork from, from Mount Pleasant. Because it was just, you know, they interviewed him about his whole life. I mean, he just told his story in his own words, you know, that, you know, all the way back to the first breakdown, all the way back to the beginning, basically, to his to his childhood in, in Clydebank, Scotland. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Um, I think probably what I'll do is I, I didn't want to put this on, um, you know, just stick in the piece or on Twitter, but I, I'm certainly happy to share with uh, society members, you know, just that mental health record because it's it's just a crazy read on its own, you know. Yeah, and just the level of detail. Um, I've had people who read the story just kind of ask where, how we were able to get the level of, of detail that was in there. And so much of it came from from that paperwork. And to give Pablo some credit in, in terms of building that trust and that relationship with Nancy, the story never would have happened if she wasn't willing to like completely trust two relative strangers with like very sensitive information. Um, and so that that I think was the thing that really made the story was getting that admissions paperwork because the level of detail in his in his own words is very heartbreaking it's very i mean it even gets into the fact that like he liked playing ping pong at, at the mental health facility and listening to certain types of music and it was so granular that it really allowed us for the first time to really kind of fill in the blanks on this person who had been kind of a phantom to us even kind of far into this process i think to, sorry to prattle on, but like, and I, I imagine many of you have the same experience doing research, but a story like this where you're dealing with this whole family, um, in a way it gets easier as, as time moves on, because if you treat people with respect and you earn their trust, um, they became, the, you know, Nancy and Constance and others became kind of the people who'd vouched for us to other members in the family. You know, I don't know that, that anybody else would have spoken to us had they not been encouraged to by, you know, three or four different um, members of both sides of Willie's family that we got close to. Thank you so much for listening to the show today and all year long. We'll be back in 2023 with new episodes. Until then, happy soccer to all of you.